So thank you for joining us today. If you've listened to our intro and episode and you're here now, we appreciate you. You hear my born and train. We have a black standard poodle named Josie here. So you might need see me leaving the screen to go handle that while Camille <laughs> talks. Camille, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Good. How are you? I, you know, having two dogs here that I'm crating and rotating, I have to take them for separate walks in the morning and I'm getting a lot of exercise in, which is very good. for Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's very good. You see the bright side in it. <laughs> yeah, it orphans and all that nonsense. There you <laughs> go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today our episode is titled, You Are Enough. We are talking about, um, today the podcast is titled, You Are Enough, because we wanted to just create more positive content out there and more feel-good content. Uh, what does the title, You Are Enough, mean to you, Camille? Um, I think we all need to remind ourselves of that, because, you know, when you think about social media and stuff like that, it, it, you see... First, you're only going to see the good stuff on social media, right? Nobody's going to post like, I I trained a dog wrong and they're going to post it. Um, so everything you see is so fantastic, but yet, you know, it can leave you feeling like, um, why can't I do that? Or why am I not at that point yet? Or, you know, whatever. So remembering that you are enough is a huge deal. It really is. It's, it's, um, not constantly second guessing yourself and it's having the courage just to say, you know what, I, I'm enough. I'm good. I did good today. I, I remembering all the good things, like maybe even needing a, like a, a even kind of put a sticky on your computer that says, Hey, remember when you did this? It was fantastic. <laughs> that was oh, just last week. 100%. They have yeah. in therapy and it is a thing. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, there are so many different techniques that I'm learning about in my like therapy program that I joined and it it's really similar and and kind of oh my gosh, too close to home how many of these techniques we use in the dog world in a different way. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so comparing ourselves to others is a waste of time is really one of the main themes of this podcast today. And thank mm -hmm. you for that, Camille. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, this podcast is for both pet parents and for trainers, um, engineers, any other fill in the blank occupation. We're all putting ourselves in these situations where we're comparing ourselves to others in an unhealthy way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we also are going to hit a little bit on in this episode about our experiences with social media and just, yeah, I guess our, our personal opinions of it. Mm -hmm. And it I, is important. It's it's important to point out that these are our personal experiences and opinions, and we're by no means trying to be a behavior consultant for people because that's not the way we're trained <laughs> by any means. But you can't you can't ignore the fact that you know the learning theory is through every animal, every person. It's all the same. It's just a different being that's doing the the learning or the or or feeling like they're not enough and stuff. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the what we know about dogs, we've learned from mice and pigeons and primates. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so with that said, shall we jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So the first thing we did discuss was the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And a lot of what we're discussing is from Andrea Harrison's uh, conference presentation in the Le- in 2020 Lemonade Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, Camille. Do you want to go into, I guess, well, I guess we probably should start with what imposter syndrome is, right? Yeah. So imposter syndrome is just feeling like you're not enough, feeling like you're fake, you know, like you say you're, you are something and you're not. Um feeling like you can't, um, you do something, but you represent yourself, that you can't do something, but you represent yourself as something you can. Um, One thing it's not is when you're asked to do something that you know you can't do, that's not imposter syndrome. That's realism. (laughs) Right? That's realism. If you know you can't do it, then, you know, like, I don't know. Lure racing. I've never done lure racing. If someone asked me to teach their dog that, I'd be like, mm, I'm not the person for you. I, I, I can't feel bad about it because it's just not something, for one thing, I'm not interested in it. But for another, I don't have to feel bad that I don't know it. It's just, I don't know it. That's different from imposter syndrome. You know, a client calls you and asks you to do something and you're like, okay, I said I could handle this. I said I knew what I was doing. Now, you know, how am I going to do this? Um, and, and feeling like you can't handle it anymore. Yeah, um, it's one of the things that imposter syndrome can create. It prevents you from being able to celebrate the small wins. Yeah. So Camille and I, who we are behavior consultants and we have put a lot of work in our craft. I think both of us have to convince each other probably every single time we talk that we're good at what we do. (laughs) So I think when we've like, I remember when I first started training, I had amazing, amazing um, mentors mm-hmm. and I, I must've driven them crazy because I was so scared to do something wrong or to take on a case I couldn't take on or, you know, so I'd call them and say, okay, this, this is the case. Am I missing anything? Did I do anything wrong? You know, did I, did I cover all my bases? So I'm second guessing myself. Absolutely. And I guess that's part of getting started, but yet, um, and I, I actually hear, I teach a um, professional dog training course for the foundation for IABC foundation and my my students say it too they're like we feel like we're saying we can be trainers but we don't know enough to be trainers and I'm like you know what that's the first step to being a fantastic trainer don't Mm -hmm. let yourself get stuck in that imposter syndrome but yet understand that we can expand our knowledge in in any and everything you know and and that no one to refer if you really can't handle it you know you can't handle it refer Um, but also, you know, the mentors that I had also said, Hey, why don't you come shadow me and watch the case? So maybe you can try it next time. And that's valuable. That's really, really valuable. Absolutely. Well, and you've mentioned so many things. We're going to talk about Dunning-Kruger effect in a second too, but before we do that, do you want to talk about what, uh, Andrea Harrison explains are the five types of imposter syndrome and how they show themselves? Yeah. So the five types, I, I found these interesting. I didn't realize they were like types. And then when you think about it, it kind of falls into line. Um, the Superman that you you keep trying harder and harder and harder to keep up and, and you're kind of validating yourself. I want um, to or, or at least really quickly. Sorry, do you finish your thought? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I don't care. I want to point out, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I, I want to point out that the trying harder and harder to keep up in our intro, we talked about, you know, we all 
thrive, to get normal, to be better, to, to achieve normalcy. And the, I feel like that's what this falls under. You know, we keep yeah, trying yeah. harder and harder and there is no harder to, to achieve, I mm-hmm. guess. All right. I'm done talking. Go ahead, Camille. <laughs> no, you did great. Um, well, in thinking about being a Superman, you think about, um, you know, if I just do more and do more and do more and do more, it'll make me better. You're right. Um, and of course, that's not accurate, because if you start spreading yourself too thin, then you don't give any good concentration to, or focus to one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the next is the natural genius. Um, the natural genius is the person that is kind of embarrassed that it doesn't come easier. Like, why isn't this easier for me? Why do I have to struggle so hard at this? Boy, I know this so well. (laughs) Um, How how much, even you saying that you do this, I want to be, I want to just like, I don't know, because you're trying your best to learn something and you're beating yourself up as you're trying to learn, which just <laughs> you know this as dog trainers, you're trying to teach a dog to sit, but you keep telling him, no, you're standing, no, you're standing, you're doing it wrong. Sit. No, <laughs> how, oh my gosh, it just makes my head hurt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. So the, I really, I really, really understand this um, natural genius thing. Cause I, 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 I watch it actually in my family and what my sister can do and, and what I know she's really good at that she got from my mom and what I can do. And they're different. And sometimes I'm like, why, why can she do that so easily? And I, I can't even comprehend how she thinks of it. But yet then I know there are things I can do that she can't. So we each put each other in charge of our, our strong suits. The, for the natural genius, the work in progress, that's what you should be. The reason I want to mention that is because there's somebody here in this town that has a a license tag that says work in progress. And it is my favorite license tag in the whole wide world. Because isn't that what we are? Aren't we all a work in progress, no matter how old we are? Because we're constantly mm-hmm. learning and changing and experiencing things. So anyway, that's my like, spiel for work in progress. But Because you just took something that we're saying imposter syndrome is something to be aware of and avoid, but you just put it in a good light, right? So mm-hmm. I feel- yep is a point where we can talk about everything in moderation the world's not yeah, black yeah thank you liz randall for making that mantra in my head and i need to keep saying it the world is not black and white <laughs> right. uh, you considering yourself a work in progress can be unhealthy if you're pushing yourself to the point of shaming yourself that it, it's still not there yet well and so i see a work in progress is, as me knowing I don't know it all Mm -hmm. and being willing and open to hear some more, like, like teach me some more. Let me, let me, I'm going to keep working on myself. I'm going to keep learning whatever it is I'm working on. Um, So to me, work in progress is such a positive thing. Exactly. And it's also why whenever I say I should know this, you say, no, we don't, we don't, we know what we know. And you tell me, I should know this. (laughs) All right, go ahead to the next one. (laughs) All right. So the next one is soloist and soloist is um, that you should be able to do this without anybody else's help. You know, you should be able to do it alone. Um, Should, I think is a hard word. And um, uh, Andrea says this too. She says that should, should be struck, struck from your vocabulary. Just don't say should, you know, uh, because it sets you up to fail, really, or it sets um, the situation up to fail. It's, it's just not a 
It's not a positive, good word for yourself. In other words, every time I'm in group therapy, the leader would always pause anyone that says should and say, hang on, we're catching that. We're not saying it that way. So yeah. Oh, interesting. Even when we're all together working on our mental health, we avoid should conversations. Well, it's smart because if you keep saying should, 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 it, it makes it, you're never going to be enough. And the real fact is you are enough. Absolutely. You know, you are enough. And if you have should in there, that that's taken away from what's great about you, you know? I love that. And so the next one is the expert. Um, the expert and there's value in how much they know. Um, but you feel fake because you feel like you're not that expert. Like you, um, you, you want to be that expert, but you feel fake because you don't know it all. I, to me, this is kind of a classic imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. Um, you know, people would come to me. I used to do dog training. And, and when I did just basic obedience dog training, people would come to me for puppies and, and all these things. But it took me a while to learn those and feel like I was an expert. And I felt fake the whole time. Mm-hmm. But then again, if I'm patient with who I am, every single time I had one of those experiences, I learned from it and I got better and better and better. And, and sometimes I even look back and think, wow. I was brand new. How did I even think of that? You know, like, um, so that's, so that's when you can be positive about it and, and think, okay, this is not bad, but I'm not even sure expert is a fair word. I don't know. It, expert to me is hard on you because you have to be, you feel like you have to be perfect. It sounds similar to the natural genius in that way. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, and the last one, uh, if, if imposter syndrome is um, the perfectionist mm-hmm. thinking that, okay, it can always be better. It can, you know, this doesn't look just right. I've got to, you know, I've got to tweak this. I've got to do this. And, and sometimes enough is enough. Like, like you are enough. You don't have to keep pushing because it really is fantastic. Yeah. I think that this just whole sums up why I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, um, imposter syndrome or or even just feeling like enough is enough is very hard right now Mm -hmm. because of all the social media we never used to have this you know when I was younger um we weren't it it was all about tv then for example and all the models and the you know the way they were portrayed on tv and now wow it's in our face way more than the tvs when I was growing up Mm -hmm. it's in our face every single day I watch my daughter on her phone or you know it's just it's all the time absolutely and I feel like if, if there's a constant rush of well, the way social media is set up and I get, we'll continue this conversation at the end, but I feel like there's a constant rush of trying to get your stuff out before everyone else. And it's just, yeah, yeah. the pressure is not healthy. Um, but we'll go into the Agree. media at the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> I want to jump into Dunning-Kruger. Is there yeah, anything let's do it. you wanted to add on poster syndrome? Um, no, not right now. We okay. have, we have a little, I have some more information on it, but let's do Dunn and Kruger and see what we can, um, see how I'm we can with. balance the two. Yeah. And I do, I think that we're going to be having follow-up podcasts to, all right, we did that, but now we want to talk more about it and maybe even answer further follow-up questions from mm-hmm. these episodes that we're creating, because I know our brief, um, touching upon of these subjects, it's, it's not in depth and we, we will 
become better as the podcast continues to evolve. So thank you for sticking it out with us thus far. Uh, <laughs> so the like Dun- anything else, we'll get better and better. <laughs> exactly. And that brings us to the, actually the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, so I did listen to Hannah Brannigan's Drinking from the Toilet podcast episode number 100 is on the pod- Dunning-Kruger. But also Dunning did a podcast back in 2014 where he described from his perspective what the effect is and, you know, how it's evolved. And the interesting thing is, is one of the lines he says is, are you vaguely embarrassed by the thing or person you were five to 10 years ago? If you are, then that's a good sign that you're Dunning and Kruger. It's not affecting you. Cause if you can look back five to 10 years and be like, Ooh, I've learned so much, then you're on the right path, you know? So tell tell us what Dunning Kruger is, because I get this. I'm sorry. I completely jumped ahead of it. So basically, the way he summed it up was incompetent people are unable to recognize they are incompetent. Ah, okay. And we'll have this podcast in the show notes too, because the way he just talks, it's heady. It's kind of like a Hannah Brannigan heady information based podcast that I love. Um, But it really did just everything that you talked about imposter syndrome. I'm like, Oh, he kind of talked about that. And Dunning Kruger. Oh, he kind of talked about that too. And me talking about how this podcast is five to 10 years. This podcast is from 2014. So it'd be really interesting to see what he thinks about this podcast. That was recorded seven years ago. Um, But I mean, the effect is still the same. So even though, um, we probably have learned some salties here and there. We see it all the time, which is the more experienced you are, the more you know what you don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes us better and stronger. I really do. Yeah. Um, and he said a line. Understanding what you don't know and how you, you know, working towards being better. That's the work in progress. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Because like, oh my gosh. So he even said geniuses don't know how easy they have it because they can't see how difficult it is for others. Mm-hmm. And so while we're com- talking about comparing ourselves and social media and all of that, depending on who you're watching and what they think they know, they could be speaking with such confidence because they have no idea what little they know. And that mm-hmm. confidence just makes you want to follow them and agree with them and believe them. And that just drives me nuts and the dangers of social media, but it's important. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that the line of incompetent people are unable to recognize how they are incompetent and the way they described it made it really clear. I kind of saw more of a um, exponential curve, essentially. So if we're looking at, let's say, certifications we'll go with, right? When I had my ABC certification, which it took me, it's do it your own pace. I think I had it done in a month because it's read it all, take the test. You're volunteering your time and earning it. But I thought I was a dog trainer to the fullest extent. Hire me. I know what to do. I'm a professional. I'm a professional. I have a certification. Look at my letters. Right. So, but it didn't take me years to get KPA. Once I realized that KPA was my next step I wanted to do, I was able to get it done probably that following year. Mm -hmm. So as a beginner dog trainer, I have now two sets of really good letters after my name. 
letters after my name. Um, and I thought even more, holy crap, look how much I know. But the more I continued training, the more difficult and the more hours you need for the certifications, behavior consultant or the CCPDT, you need 200 hours. The, the, it takes so much more time to get to the next level in your knowledge compared mm-hmm. to when you first get started. And he said, and they were describing that that's where this kind of false confidence comes from because I'm thinking I got this. And so I, I've gotten this far. So I, I, I know it all. I'm done. Exactly. I okay. achieved these many certifications in this short period of time. Look at how good I am at this. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, you realize the certifications, while they absolutely do say that the person, it gives good information about the person's techniques and their ideology. It doesn't give too much information about skill. Yeah, true. And actually, that's what made me pursue um, IABC. Because even CPDT, yeah, I sat and I took my, you know, my four-hour test and it was multiple choice and blah, blah, blah. And and passed, you know, both of them, the CPDT and the CBCC. But I felt like the IABC test really showed your skill because it was very specific and you had to say um, exactly what you would teach in certain situations and how you would teach it and what would, you know, what were the possible outcomes and how would you fix that? And there were a lot of details that Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with CPDT. And it's not that I'm, I'm um, saying CPDT is bad. I'd still, I'd do it again. I absolutely would do it again. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I, I just found out there was something a little bit more and I'm like, okay, I got to push myself. I got to, you know, I want to, I want to prove to myself and to my clients that I know what I'm talking about. And, I and think, that's kind of where it led me to that. You no, know, absolutely. And for those who aren't familiar with these tests that we're talking about, um, the CCPDT, the certification of professional dog training. Certification council of professional dog, professional trainer. dog trainers. Uh-huh. Um, they have a knowledge assessed certification, which means you basically understand the vocabulary and the workings of behavior ish, but then they have, what's the higher one? The CBBC, the certified behavior consultant, yes, canine? That, CBCC, that that's was behavior. Still, that's still a two hour test. Four. Four. Okay. Was the knowledge assessed? I can't remember anymore. Was it two or four? Four. Oh, wow. But okay. then, and you know, they have the KSA too, the, the skills assessed, yeah. knowledge and skills assessed, which is, is good because, you know, that part is where you have to video. I helped a trainer here do her videos one time just so I could help her set it up and she could do her um, turn them in. Mm-hmm. So, and that was good, but I felt it was kind of limiting because mm-hmm. you really had to be like spot on and get it exactly right. And you only had that one shot at it. It was just Video. interesting. Yeah, going back to video and social media, I mean, they were able and had to edit it just perfectly for what the task asked for. That's what we're exactly. all first. Um, exactly. And we're kind of going, but I want to just finish this just so that you guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the IABC, when you get those, and for our behavior consultant certification, um, it is, they give you what, like a month? I can't remember how long they gave Six. us. Two months, 60 days. 
two months to answer questions that were similar to the other exam, but also open-ended questions and cases that you had to explore. And it literally took me two months to do. Like it takes that long. Oh, it yeah, it, it does. It's a lot. Um, so when I first started and had my ABC, Animal Behavior College Dog Training Certification, I thought, sign me up for the IABC. I know what I need to know. I got this. <laughs> I, I can do this. this. You know? <laughs> And the more I did it, the more I realized I wasn't ready and I had so much more to learn. And that's kind of where we're going with this Dunning-Kruger. Right, right. Does that explain? I, I mean, we could even make the analogy. You know what it, Go ahead. You were saying something a minute ago about um, the the incompetent people don't realize how incompetent they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a um, a problem with the dog training industry. It is such a prolific industry. Mm-hmm. There are so many dog trainers out there. And honestly, you know, that's, to me, that's one of the things that's the problem with dog training is that you don't have to have any, you don't have to have a certification. You can hang out a shingle and say, I'm a dog trainer. And right. Boom. You're a dog trainer. Right. Um, those are the people that I feel like don't know what they're doing. They think they know what they're doing. They think they're doing it right. They, they don't question it. They don't seek out higher education or learning about it. They just say, oh, well, I've done this before. I can do it again. Yeah. And and I'm with you, but there has to be a balance because think of us when we first started, if we didn't have that fake it till you make it mentality, which granted there's a line because part of what you're saying is a fake it till I make it. But part of what you're saying is I know it. Um, and unfortunately, like you're not wearing that on your sleeve, you know, like I don't know if you're faking your confidence because you are overcompensating or you're exuding confidence, even though you shouldn't, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking, I'm thinking more of the people that, you know, are not really even trying to learn Mm -hmm. or that, for example, they learn from one place Mm -hmm. and they don't seek out any other knowledge or any other way of training or, you know, this is it. I Um, feel like that's such a dangerous path too, because I have to catch myself. Right. There are some people I really love learning from. Leslie McDevitt, anything you want to tell me, Leslie, I am here to listen. You know? <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, uh, but- there's so many of them and they're great people and mm-hmm. there's so much good information out there. I just, I always want to learn. Like I'm seeking out new information, you know? Oh, I was in a, um, a webinar the other day and a, a trainer here in town, a newer trainer, was in the same webinar and she's, she's personally like texting me going, why are you in this webinar? And I'm like, I can't be here. <laughs> she's like, no, no. Like you have a successful business. You have, you know, you've been doing this for years. What do you need these people for? And I'm like, well, but I might learn something. <laughs> and, and that's truly my, my thought process. What if they say something I can learn from and, you know, take a little nugget from here and a nugget from there. I feel like I want to learn more because there was a follow-up episode and and hopefully it's a little more recent. When I first started agility, I thought, I know behavior. I just need to learn how to teach each of the obstacles and we're good to go. And it's so much more than that. Even now, knowing like me talking about my emotional maturity, it's not there yet because even now I could recognize myself even a year ago thinking that I knew more about agility than I knew, Mm -hmm. you know? So it really, there are times that, 
I still catch myself. So that actually brings us to some of the techniques that work with and help us with imposter syndrome and with Mm -hmm. Dunning-Kruger, which is with yourself. And that's actually something that Dunning did say on the podcast that a way to prevent yourself from falling into this effect is asking other people advice and talking about it. Yeah. And I think even Hannah Brown again on her episode talked about, you know, having people watch your training videos, mm-hmm. which, you know, speaking of Dunning Kruger, I remember when I first listened to her hundredth episode, I'm like, yeah, I know this. Uh huh. I know this, you know, like I had that kind of, I know this vibe. And I was listening to this episode today and I'm like, yeah, she's right. I don't have the energy to put, put work into this. I need to do that, but I don't have the energy right now, but she is right. And it's the same exact information, but my body's hearing it differently in the sense of nice. There's some power there. And back then it was, yeah, I know this. I know this. You know, I got this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I think you and I talking about how we're able to throw things back and forth, you know, that Mm -hmm. is so important to keep your in check. Such as this dog. Um, one of the things I was thinking for dog trainers, because I, I think about my my class that I teach, is you get more experience. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, if you feel like you're, um, it, you have an imposter syndrome and you're not sure about, mm-hmm. I was thinking imposter syndrome, and you're not sure, you know, can I go, can I handle this client? Can I go to them? Get more experience. Definitely talk to other trainers. Talk it out, you know, think it through. But yet, you know, volunteer go to the humane society and volunteer to train dogs or, you know, train your friend's dogs or something, because every single time you work with a different dog, it expands how you think about a particular behavior. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just sit down, touch and stay, you know? Yeah. But um, isn't that like, so I love that you brought this up, Camille, cause I kind of want to ask you about that in the sense of rescues and shelters there's not much regulation as far as like, if a dog has a bite history, yes, we're going to uh, per, like work on that appropriately. But if you're right. at a rescue or shelter and you're doing what Camille says of trying to get the experience, but there's a dog that's just giving you a vibe that's making you feel uncomfy, trust that vibe. Oh yeah, definitely. Right Absolutely. There, that's the Dunning-Kruger effect, I feel like. Where you see a dog well, giving you a vibe. Go ahead, finish. No, 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 go tell me. Well, no, just you see a dog giving you a vibe and you listen to it and you don't listen to that vibe and you're like, oh, I've seen this before. I know what I'm dealing with. I know dogs. I'm going to do this anyway. Um, There are some techniques. There are multiple techniques that Michael Shikashio and Trish McMillan teach that without those techniques, I would have bitten bit. I would have gotten right. So, I mean, I and yes, I did practice them at a shelter, but I practiced them after learning them from a professional. So oh, I, yeah, sure. Go sure. ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, like when you volunteer for, for the shelter or whatever, you, you only handle dogs that you feel comfortable handling. And, and maybe that's, um, you know, maybe you can push yourself a little bit, but you don't certainly don't want to push yourself back to anything dangerous, like getting in, you know, working with a, an aggressive dog, which of course they shouldn't let you do, but I guess I can see where it might slide by depending on who it is, but well, and the dog too. I mean, dogs have good days and bad days. So I, I can see right. how it could be tough for the staff to dictate which dogs are going to be safe and which dogs aren't going to be. 
in, in trying to encourage people to work around the, the feeling of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, I guess, cause I relate to that more sort of, um, get experience, go talk to people, form a group, um, mm-hmm. you know, just find a couple of people or even just one person you really vibe with and that you can talk to like we did. And that's what we do. We just talk, you know, talk through cases, talk through what would you do here? What does that look like? Or that kind of thing. And I will also say and point out again, that this is a good time to say that we're going to talk about right now, things that have worked well for us um, yeah. as dog trainers. This is what works for us in, at, in our field, but we are by no means um, coming from the pro- point of any certification with people behavior. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so we are giving our personal, what, what like I said, what worked for us, please seek a professional if you need help applying any techniques or want to work course. more in depth with. Of course. Uh, but what I will say to that is one thing that has worked for me, I am really good at catastrophizing. And so if you're the kind of person that you dropped a leash and a dog, you were walking, got away from you. And now you think that you're the worst trainer in the world. Let's go down that path. Okay. So you dropped a leash and the dog ran away. What's the worst thing that could happen? Like, did that happen? Did the dog get hit by the car? Did you get the dog? Did you play the recall game? Like all these things of actually going along the lines of, okay, I need to be the best. And what does the best look like? And what is a perfection? What is perfect look like? And is that even possible? Having that conversation with myself has helped me realize how ridiculous part of me is being in trying to achieve. <laughs> achieve. Uh, it does take a little more mindfulness than I feel like I currently have, and I'm working on building, but for those that have mastered more mindfulness than me, those techniques might work for you. Well, one of the things I always think about are mistakes are human. And we teach our, our clients that, right? When they're trying to set up things in the house and manage things, mistakes are going to happen. They're human. I often think the the way that you can, I don't know how to say it, like it, it matters what you do with that mistake. So do you beat yourself up with for it? Do you, um, you know, do you quit training for a week because you're just mad at yourself and you're like, how could I ever do that? Or do you say, okay, that was a mistake, but I did a really good job of still making sure that dog was, you know, careful or didn't get hurt or whatever it is, you know, humans make mistakes. I think it's our recovery that matters because one's inevitable. What's that? Well, there's that line in the movie that it doesn't matter that you fall. It matters how quickly you get back up. Yeah. Yeah. Forget what sports movie that is. And it's just such a, um, it's true i mean what what do you do anytime you're given a problem what do you do with it do you do you just shut down and i'm the first one to tell you if you give me 85 problems in a day i'm like okay i stop i I can't do this anymore but Mm. i'll come back the next day and figure out a few of them and and a few more and a few more but when you're given a problem it's the recovery I think that that says a lot about who you are. You know, I don't worry about the problems. Problems are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. Stress is going to happen. You say that. And it's so easy for me to take that perspective when I'm talking to you and I'm practicing (laughs) trying to apply that ideology to myself 
and be as kind to myself as you are to me. And it really, that in itself is a learning curve. Um, you kind of hit on, I think it's Sarah Owings was the first one that created the emotional cup analogy for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think she's got a handout on that, doesn't she? Yeah. Is I that made that frequently. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and where I'm talking about this is, you know, walking Pluto when he's not pulling the entire time that fills my cup walking Pluto when he is pulling nonstop that empties my cup at the end of that walk I'm going to have more energy to clean the house when he hasn't walked because my cup is more filled you know Mm -hmm. recognizing what fills your cup and not only what fills your cup up, recognizing where your cup is at any given point in the day, it's allowing me to be more kind to myself, my grammar, like using this grammar. Because it is six o'clock on a Tuesday, I'm going to be kinder <laughs> to myself and recognize that my grammar may not be spot on um, and that my cup, my cup is, is like maybe a quarter filled at this point. I haven't even finished my beer yet. So we need to, that's going to help fill my cup. <laughs> you know I agree (laughs) so just I think that's a really good analogy for me to keep track of where I am and and also another way to be kinder Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely Uh, being kind to yourself I think is one of the hardest things to do especially when you're frustrated Mm -hmm. but it's it's essential and just um and not beating yourself up especially in front of other people like don't you know don't don't put yourself down in front of other people stand strong just you know it's okay to admit your mistakes and stuff but don't beat yourself up over it yeah you tell me that all the time and I don't know what it is I mean and I think there this was on a cog dog podcast I think where she was talking about how it's reinforcing or it's almost like you're catching you're you're pointing out you already know you're wrong before the someone Mm -hmm. else can point out you're wrong Mm -hmm. you know and we do that all the time on social media and I still do it. This is now just a, a conditioned response in the sense of if I'm in a social situation and I know I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to say what I did wrong. So no one else can call me out because I don't want someone else to think they're better than me. Cause I already know I'm bad. You know, I think there is some kind of self, uh, keeping yourself safe. What, yeah. what you know, where you're kind of protection yeah exactly with that technique but I I do think that we take it too far and for myself if I am and this is where therapy has gotten me today whether I feel (laughs) too way next week um if I am saying I know I did this wrong but to my audience then I am caring way too much what my audience thinks yeah yeah I think that I need to keep letting go of what others think about me. And and once, as I continue working on that, I've, I hope I won't feel the need to say, yes, I know I messed up here, but let's continue to the good that I did do. Instead, I can just, if someone wants to point it out, they point it out and I'm, I probably know I messed up, but I don't care is where I want to be in the future. I think that's totally healthy. It's great. I I wish that I could laugh more about my mistakes. You know what I mean? Like I see people that 
make mistakes, but you know, it's just, yeah, whatever, you know, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I would like to be able to laugh at my mistakes to be able to, um, and maybe it's just about ignoring them, not pointing them out at all. Like it's really not a big deal, but definitely. Camille, do you want to do because you see other people laughing at their mistakes and you're envious of them, their ability to do that? Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's run with this. I do that. Okay. I am laughing at my mistakes because I'm going to be beating the crap out of myself an hour later when no one's watching. No, 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 <laughs> so, no, no, no. Yeah. But I know here, hear me, right. You're envious that other people are able to laugh at their mistakes, but they're beating themselves up just as much, if not more so than you, some of them, right? Yeah. I was gonna say not everybody. Some yeah. of them, maybe. Yeah. Some of them, maybe. And this goes back to why I want to remind myself that comparing myself to others is not healthy oh yeah because yeah, we don't totally we, we don't it's know. not healthy yeah go ahead <laughs> <laughs> you know i think it's when i think about dog trainers too or, or behavior consultants or anything i i really like the um the trend over the past couple of years of specializing in things mm-hmm. because it allows us to not have to cover every single base of every single thing Mm-hmm. And be really good at some things. I really like that about the industry recently where people are really like focused on certain things because there's enough great dog trainers out there that you can refer to if you don't specialize in that one thing. I do like that some trainers have niches, but I also think that generalized trainers are also beneficial too. And I'm saying this more so because A, I haven't found a niche I can find yet and I don't want to beat myself up because I haven't and think that I have to but also be if I put all the time into say resource guarding because I was considering doing that and just everything all my energies into resource guarding then when I have a case that has resource guarding but a little bit of separation anxiety I'm missing out like I, I I feel like I I one of I don't know I like knowing a little bit about everything that's just no me. I do too I and I agree I agree with that well and part of it I think is that everybody's a little bit different yeah so we specialize in behavior both of us yes there are some behaviors that I don't particularly like to train but I can train them I mean yeah. I always want to be able to do it like you you say I want to be able to do everything it's just there are some things I want to be especially good at because I see the need for it like leash reactivity Okay. You know, I, you know, like I, that and resource guarding are my favorites. Yeah. So I tend to really want to work those cases more, but like you say, there's always some little something else that has to be trained as well. Separation anxiety, or, or maybe it's right. a intra-household, you know, aggression or something that goes with it. It's never just one behavior. Oh, never. Would you get bored? You think if you only did separation or um, leash reactivity? If all your cases were just, like you know, I think I probably would, but when I think about cases, it's never just one behavior. Yeah. It's usually a, a group of behaviors. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I specialize in those, I do, I work really hard to make sure I know those things really well, but that's, I, I was listening to a separation anxiety podcast today, just cause I wanted to hear what it was about, you know, just to see yeah. if there was anything new or different. Um, because I mean, just because you specialize in one thing doesn't mean you can't do all of them, I guess is what I'm thinking. 
because there mm -hmm. are still cases that are going to be over your or my head. And, and I say that loosely. Oh, sure. In the sense of we need Dr. Maggie O'Brien is our veterinary behavior. <laughs> so we need her help and she's amazing. You know, um, even if you're thinking about referring to a veterinary behaviorist, I think of that as collaboration. I don't think of it as something I can't handle. I think of it as something I can't do legally, like prescribe medicine and, and, but I don't think of it as referring up, I guess. I think of it as, you know what, we need to bring somebody else on the team because I think it's going to be a value. They're going to be a valuable player and help our work be better. Absolutely. I have not considered that. I mean, but also the amount of clients that veterinary behaviorists see on any given day because of remote. So they are getting a lot more data to their craft. Yeah, sure. And, like and they see different. Um, I, I wish that I could have access to publications like they can mm -hmm. um some of the vet, the veterinary behaviorist groups i can't some of the things i want to read online you mm -hmm. know just to just to learn about stuff not because i'm gonna go teach it but i just want to expand when i'm thinking about stuff i can't access it because i don't have those qualifications yeah Oh, so we need to find a company that wants to hire behavior consultants. It gives us access to education and <laughs> provides benefits. When we were discussing this episode, my head went to all the downs of social media because mm -hmm. I have a lot of learning to do about not caring how much others hit like or love or what they have to say, or if they are criticizing, like, I just need to stop caring because it's really unhealthy. Yeah. But you had some good things to mention about social media. So do you want to add your two bits? Well, I mean, I think we get we get stuck in this place where um, you've got to realize that social media is only going to be the good stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, somebody's going to gripe or moan or complain or whatever. But for the most part, people are going to post their happiest moments or their best travel place or their... Um, uh, their biggest win and we have to realize that that that's good for them but but it doesn't shape us like it doesn't it doesn't mean we're lesser yeah. because we don't have that same experience or that that same thing happen does that make sense absolutely 100 mm -hmm. there's so much more to everybody's life than what we see on social media you know mm -hmm. so we have to to make sure to not judge just by that because we're all you know we're all human we're all making mistakes we're, we're all figuring judging. it out if you could just huh? stop judging that's just uh, the biggest thing I mean yes there yeah. is like I always thought judging was helpful growing up because it made me recognize where I want to be better but I did it in a really unhealthy way and I need to stop doing that so because if someone's yeah. there I can learn from their mistakes but who am I to say it's wrong is where I'm starting to learn and catch up with myself so i mean i absolutely think, yeah if we could all just stop judging each other if you have nothing yep. nice to say don't say it i wish that was helpful. or if you see something on social media and you don't like it just scroll by you don't have to you stop and make an argument about it and i mean I, it, oftentimes i think it's the um the people that don't realize they don't know much that that speak up Kruger, i do think there's a lot of that there's a lot yeah. of I do too. Whenever people are like, honestly, 
the, the, this is a conversation in itself and I'm just going to touch on it because <laughs> I don't want us to be like victimized for even mentioning this, but the conversation of euthanasia is one of those things that there are a bunch of trainers that are quick to say at this level, the dog doesn't need to live. There are a lot of trainers that say I have helped rehabilitate dogs at this level. And there are so many unknowns in each of those cases that both sides are arguing about that they don't know. And yeah, 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 that whole thing, it's, it's scary to watch anyone give advice about euthanasia online. You know, I used to volunteer, um, here in town. Um, I guess I won't mention where, cause I don't, I don't want it to be, to be bad, but mm-hmm. so there were, there was a, a euthanasia list and there were people that did the euthanasia and they were always without fail furious at the people that made the decision. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I would not want the job to have to literally euthanize an animal that, that would be, that would break your heart a million times a day. And that's just crushing Mm-hmm. But yet, in my mind, they made a decision, you know, whether it was the trainer, the behavior consultant, the head of the whatever, you know, people that are running it, they did make that decision for a reason. Like yep. they, they had, and a, and a multitude of reasons, probably. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So to, to be mad at them, I just hated to see when that happened because I know how hard it was for those people to make the decision to euthanize. Absolutely. And then to be second guessed by somebody who doesn't understand behavior or the reason behind it. I don't know. You understand both sides, but I think it's, you know what? You can't judge anybody. You can't, unless you walked a mile in their shoes, you know, Exactly. And you I, can't judge someone else. Honestly, like, I don't even want that responsibility. Like yeah. I, I do take it on. Absolutely. And I take those cases that I don't know if the outcome's going to be this dog is is going to be with us at the end of this case. I do take those cases. It weighs on me. So for any I have one right now. Yeah. It sucks. And like you're constantly questioning if you're doing the right thing and there is no right and wrong. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's to judge someone else's decision in those moments when you think you could have done it better or differently, that's not helpful for them. You mm-hmm. know? Right. And, I need, and really, if I'm doing this to anyone, point it out to me because I don't want to be that person doing it to anyone right. else. Right. But I do know I catch myself being in these situations where it's just like, all right, no, this isn't helpful. And I want to be helpful. I don't want right. to right. cause more people more stress. There's too much. <laughs> all right. Oh, I yeah. That does bring us to a good circle of what we want to talk about today about, you know. Yeah. Listeners, you are enough. Yeah. Join, meet us back here. Yeah. Join us back here. Uh, we'll probably, um, we'll probably be posting weekly. So absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. What are we going to talk about next time? <laughs> our next week, our, our, our next podcast, we're going to talk about perception, perceptions and expectations. Um, ah, kind of a little bit like this. Okay. Building off of what we're talking about in the sense of we all mm-hmm. have different perspectives and we all bring something else to the table and your expectations may or may not be reasonable depending on those perceptions. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that I have and, to- and think about labels. Like, we have a lot to talk definitely. about. Yes. Get together. All right. Um, I'll meet you back here. <laughs> that was like a plan. Thank you again for anyone that has been joining us throughout. 
we are working through all the kinks and we are becoming hopefully a little easier to listen to if you're still checking in. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here, everybody. Seriously. Have a great rest of your week and you are enough. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>